Hey, this is Kevin Bossenmeyer with UCI Conversations. My guest today is UCI's relatively new Chief of Police, Liz Griffin, who started in the spring quarter of this year. Liz earned her bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Cal State Fullerton and her master's in emergency services from Cal State Long Beach. Chief Griffin came from the Long Beach Police Department where she had worked her way up the ranks since 1992 and had served as a commander for the last six years. During her career in Long Beach, some of her duties included watch patrol commander, violent crimes detective, internal affairs sergeant, and administrative lieutenant to the deputy chief. At different times, her City of Long Beach police responsibilities included Cal State Long Beach, the Long Beach Airport, and the Port of Long Beach, which is part of the San Pedro Port Complex, where 40% of our nation's imported goods are delivered. And ladies and gentlemen, you never know when you're going to run into a chief of police. For me, it was last summer in the produce section of Albertson's grocery store. I looked up from the broccoli and noticed a uniformed police officer doing a quick cookie pickup. But this was not just any police officer. This officer had four stars on her shirt collar. For those of you who don't know, when you see an officer with four stars on their collar, you're looking at the real deal, and most likely it's a police chief. Welcome, Chief Griffin, to the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Kevin. Fantastic. Really looking forward to just an up-close and personal interview. Chief, tell us about where you grew up. Okay. I grew up in L.A., Artesia, a small town near Cerritos. I grew up there from the age of probably seven on, so most of my life has been here in Southern California. I come from a family with two older sisters and a younger brother, so I was the middle child. I was the first in my family to go to college and get a degree. And even though my family wasn't real happy at first with me wanting to be a police officer, they're very supportive of me now. I'm married. I have two kids, Johnny and Caitlin. My son graduated high school when I started working here, and my daughter will be graduating this year. When did you start thinking about police work? I was one of those ones when you're really young and you want to be a police officer or a firefighter. I wanted to be a police officer, and so for as long as I can remember, that's the profession I wanted. When you became an officer back in the day, that was fairly new territory. There weren't that many women in law enforcement. Were there? No. In fact, uh, I used to work in North Long Beach on uh, Watch 3, which is the afternoon watch, and I would be the only one in the locker room getting ready for the patrol duties with the rest of the officers next door in the men's locker room. So for many years, I was the only female that worked that watch. Chief, how was that for a woman, the physical aspect? Was that a challenge for you? People think that's a big challenge, but if you really look at it, there are men who aren't as bulky or as tall as some other men. So I think it's a challenge for a lot of people. A lot of people don't make it through the academy. But I think there's also the nice thing about police work and our training is they train you to technique. So work smarter, not harder to be able to, you know, if you're shorter like I am, to get over a fence, to get over a wall and how to do it. And if you can't, what techniques you can use to help yourself. Dragging the dummy that weighs more than you do. There's a technique to that and how to do it. So I would say it was challenging, but doable, definitely Mm -hmm. doable. And the better the techniques are now, the more people that can actually be successful in law enforcement. And, And it's been great throughout my career. I had some female mentors in my career, and it's great to see a lot more women coming into law enforcement than before. And women having families and being in law enforcement with kids, it's really nice 
to see that and see it grow. It still is, I think, a little too low. It's, you know, if you look nationwide, I think it's between 10 and 20%. And most agencies are around the 10% mark and some are below. It's just like when you see a male nurse. It's just one of those things that you don't see a lot of male nurses. Well, in law enforcement, you don't see a lot of female cops. But we're definitely growing. And it's nice to see more women going through the ranks as well. And I have to say, this is due to male mentorship right? Because there wasn't women before us. So we had a lot of male mentorship. So there's, there's a lot of men in the profession that wanted to see women succeed. And, and it's thanks to a lot of those men that I got where I am today. So I appreciate that. But you're starting to see more chiefs of police that are women in California. Right now, there's only two of us in Orange County, Chief Farinella at Laguna Beach, who also came from Long Beach PD, and myself for Orange County. So it was nice when we had the sheriff, Orange County Sheriff. But still, the numbers are low. But we're growing, and we're definitely breaking through that glass ceiling and moving up in the ranks. Do you feel like there's a difference between female police officers and male police officers? I could say I used to think that. Uh I used to think that women had more of a mother-nurturing type of personality. And, you know, when you had a sexual assault, uh, it was always our child abuse. It was like, oh, let the female officer handle it. But... I don't see that anymore. Men can be just as compassionate and empathetic and, you know, they have sisters and daughters and and they know how to treat people and it's more of what the victim wants. Is the victim more comfortable talking to a woman or a man? And you'd be surprised how many are more comfortable talking to a man. So I used to think that having a woman with their ability to talk and not, not get angry used to be an advantage, but now I think you're seeing it with both men and women. I think we're learning how to communicate better and men are just as compassionate as women and can be, I no longer think that that's a definite benefit. I do think, however, that there's still the idea that some people might be a little more calm when they talk to a woman at the beginning, because it depends on how the woman responds. But then there's some people who see a woman police officer and want to take advantage of that because they feel like I can take her so I'm gonna you know but I have to say it's the same thing with men if you have a big guy who knows how to fight and he sees a police officer who's you know not as big he might feel the same way about that so I think it's pretty comparable now mm-hmm. between men and women well we're on the topic when you got a really big bad guy and you got a smaller police officer that officer has to be in full capacity of what needs to be called for in the situation. They need to be in charge of the situation. Absolutely, and it's not just size, it's also their mental status, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you are high on meth or cocaine, you have these extraordinary powers anyway. Yeah. But I think that's why police have to have the tools that they have and to use those tools. A tasers, pepper spray, those kind of tools help even the field. If you can take them down with a taser and handcuff them before they can attack you, then you win the battle. I think what a lot of people don't understand is that we can't just go, oh, you know what? Take, yeah. That guy can take me on. I'm just going to leave. Yeah, right? right, right. We can't just do that. You yeah. know, it's not, yeah. that's, not, that's not what we're here to do. We're here right. to actually control a situation. I have to give kudos to these young police officers that come out because they have a lot of patience and they have a lot of tools at their disposal that they have to use. Sometimes they have to make split life-changing decisions and it's tough, but uh, with all the tools that we get in, like I talked about techniques earlier. It's the same thing with tools. Um, you got a lot of tools and techniques in your toolbox, and you got to know when and how to use those. And so officers that are trained well will know what techniques to use. So if there's a bigger guy that's coming at you, you're not going to put your fists up and get ready to, to rumble, right? You're going to pull out your taser or, or, or another tool that you have 
uh, to be able to safely take that person into custody. And when I say safely, safely for both parties. Mm. As part of leadership within the department and the officers below you who are leaders, will you identify an officer? Our perception is you need to be stronger in this area. We'd like you to have more training. Is that part of the evaluation process? Absolutely. And our training program is set up to find deficiencies that officers have as they're training new officers. Where are they strong and where are they lacking? And then we partner them up with a training officer who helps with their deficiencies. For example, if you have an officer, great officer, but can't write a report if his life depended on it, well, we put him with the FTO that teaches them how to write reports. So we find those deficiencies. We do audits and evaluations, and when we go through those audits and evaluations, we look for deficiencies or we look for areas, not just for that officer, but as a whole department. Do we need to train everybody on this? Even though the incident was involving maybe one person, is this more of a systemic issue that we need to train everybody on, or is it just an individual officer? And then we adjust to that. So do we need to train everybody on that, what happened there, or do we just need to help that officer? Gotcha. And then we use training, we use post-training, we'll go outside training, whatever help that we can't provide in-house, we'll find somewhere else to help train. Gotcha. Hello, UCI Conversation listeners. This is your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. If you joined us late, my guest is new UCI Police Chief Liz Griffin discussing her career and police work. Now back to the interview. Back to your career, did you start at the City of Long Beach Police Department? I did, as I went through their police academy and started as a recruit and went up through the ranks there. Okay. In your early years, were they as a patrol officer? Yes. How long did you do that? First time I did patrol was for about four years. And then? You go back every step. So when you become oh. a sergeant, you go back to patrol. When you become a lieutenant, you go back to patrol. Oh, is that right? Yeah. What's the reasoning for that? Well, I, I'm not, I'm not really <laughs> sure how to explain that. Um, it's kind of like a, you, you start, every time you promote, you start at the bottom again. And patrol is like, that's where you learn the basics. Uh-huh. So every time you promote, you have to go back to learn the basics of that position in patrol. I see. So are sergeants patrol officers too? Sure. Sergeants can be patrol officers. You can have detective sergeants as well. Oh, okay. And detective lieutenants. Once you go back to patrol and do the basics, then you can go off and do other things. I see. What are your memories of you know those early years of being a patrol officer? You're you know you're young. You're you're new. You're learning. I think with most with most officers too. You come in and you're like, I, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. And I think the one thing that really hits me the most is how being a police officer wasn't just being a police officer. It was being a psychiatrist. It was being a therapist. One time I had to be a plumber. Uh, I mean, it's just <laughs> the things that people want the police. We're like the, I would say, we're the catch-all. Uh, people uh, have a problem and we're the first ones they call and we're the ones that respond the quickest. So that's kind of the thing I remember as being young is that being a police officer is more than just being a police officer. It's more than just fighting crime. While I was still a patrol officer, I started doing bicycle patrol. And that's where I first had my real experience with community engagement and how to work with the community to solve problems and partnering with the community and other entities to help solve some of the problems. You know, if you've got an alley that's constantly got drug activity in the alley, um, what things can you do to stop that? Well, one thing is clean up the alley, right? Don't make it a nice place for the druggies to go to or the the drug addicts or the drug dealing to go to. So, But how do you clean that up, right? Because police officers don't clean alleys, but you work with your city partners, you work with the people that live there and say, hey, you know, maybe let's not put the trash cans out until the night 
of trash day, you know, just little things like that. I learned at a young age that that's the way to be successful. We can't do it all ourselves. We have to partner with other people to get things done. Besides the alley, any other particular memory of that time in your career? <laughs> I have a lot of funny memories. Well, please, that sounds good. Speaking of uh, bicycle patrol, uh, my partner and I used to patrol in North Long Beach along the Atlantic Corridor where there's a lot of businesses. And we just happened to be patrolling in the alley and we saw a car parked there and it just kind of looked suspicious. And then we saw a guy running out of an auto zone. It looked like he was armed. He definitely had stuff in his hands and jump in the car. So we kind of figured, I think we just saw a robbery occur. So my partner, we, you know, we're not going to chase people. We got to know what's going on. So my partner goes, I'll, I'll go talk, talk to the victim, make sure everybody's okay. So he goes into the store and I start chasing the car on my bike. That was yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, you were. I'm on a I'm so, on a bike and they're in a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The advantage was that in the alleys you can't drive really fast, yeah. right? Because they're so small. So I was able to catch up to the car enough to give out a good description and get the license plate. Our car police caught them, you know, a couple of blocks away, and it was it was a robbery in progress. So, mm. I mean, it's always kind of cool to do the big, you know, I got the bad guy kind of thing. But you know, then I I mentioned about being a plumber. Um, you know, one of the things you have to do as a cop is you have to be good friends with dispatch. You have to help them out whenever you can because otherwise they will give you some calls that you don't really want to go to. <laughs> but the other thing is we, there was this lady that kept calling 911 because her toilet was running and it was just driving her crazy. And they kept telling her, don't call 911, call a plumber. And But she kept calling, kept calling, kept calling. So dispatch calls me and says, hey, do you mind going and seeing if you can at least tell her to stop calling 911? Uh, so I went over there, and the lady's toilet was running, and all I had to do was open up the tank and kind of jiggle the wire a little bit and fix it, and it stopped running, and the lady was happy as can be, and dispatch was happy as can be, and that's when one of the times I realized, God, being a cop is it's not just being a cop. It's just helping the community, right. and that was, that was me helping the community. What do you feel like were your strong talents when you were a young officer? I always wanted to make things better. I always wanted, okay, this is how we do it. How can we do it better? You know, what can we do to make it better? How can we make it easier for officers to write reports? How can we make it easier to help the community? Is I think that's what people recognized when I was younger, that the people that started mentoring me to promote was that I wanted to make a difference. And I think, you know, doing that kind of stuff, uh, you know, how, how, do I, how do I develop a new bike program? How do I develop... Uh, strategies for the community to clean up their neighborhoods, just things like that. So I think from early on, I just wanted to make things better. How do I make things better? Not not just in the community, but in the department. How do I make things better? Long Beach is an active city. It's a big city. It's not Irvine. <laughs> did Definitely you, not. As an early officer, did you have to use your gun on a weekly basis, monthly basis? Not as much as you might think. Well, when you, you say use your gun, I think every police officer hopes that they never have to use their gun throughout their career. I've never had to shoot anybody, thank God. Have I had to use my gun? Absolutely. There's been times where I've had to pull out my gun, point it at people. I would say on a daily basis, but it happened quite often. The closest I ever got to shooting somebody was actually a suicidal person where he had a gun and I was in the only position to be able to talk to him and 
get him to put the gun down, but he could have easily turned the gun on me, which I had to be ready for, and I would have had to defend myself. But luckily, that's not how it turned out, and he ended up putting the gun down, and everything ended up being great. But talk about scary moments. That's what happens. There's been times where, uh, there's one funny story I'll tell you. We were on a burglary call where we're surrounding the house, and it's pitch dark at night, and I'm on the back perimeter, and a possum came walking along the wall right by my head and scared me to death, right? Just yeah. just scared me. Yeah. And I had my gun out because, you know, we we're waiting yeah. for a burglary suspect to come out. And I thought, oh my God, I was going to end up shooting this possum. But that was a pretty scary situation. Of course, I didn't try to shoot it or anything, but we pulled our guns out quite often. And, and it's interesting here at Irvine, you know, we document every time we point our guns at somebody. Because it's a big deal. You know, we try not to pull our guns out if we don't have to, but there's situations in our training that we're prepared for. They always don't turn out to be that way, but they could easily go that way. It's challenging to talk to the community about that. How do you explain to the community that, yeah, we didn't know that that person for sure was somebody that lived there, so we had to call him out of the house and we had to have our guns out because he might have come out shooting. Uh, it didn't turn out that way. It ended up being somebody that lived there, and we put our guns away. You know, once. So, but how do you how do you uh, how do you get you know talk to the community about that when they're you know upset because you pulled out your guns? Well, we did because of the situation. But as it unfolded, we de-escalated, right? So mm-hmm. we have that all the time where, where our training says, "Hey, this scenario could get really bad, and we have to be prepared for the worst." And then we de-escalate as the scenario unfolds. And that can be challenging to talk to the community about. But UC Irvine PD, we have a policy here where if you point your gun at somebody, you have to write a report, you have to document it. Once you graduated out of patrol, what did you go into? I worked a couple of years for the Police Athletic League. At the time, they had the California Police Summer Games. It's just a big event for police officers in California. And you were still a police officer? I was still a police officer, and Long Beach PD was hosting the event. And they knew that my background, because through college I I worked uh, for the city of Paramount in sports and recreation. So they knew from my background that I knew how to run events. So they actually pulled me out of patrol and put me in the Police Athletic League so that I can spend time organizing the event and and still do police athletic and that was really cool because that's working with at-risk youth in the neighborhoods and I like sports so that was a lot of fun I really enjoyed that in fact I ran into somebody just a couple years ago who is now a Long Beach police officer who had said he remembered me from PAL and it was because of us that he wanted to be a police officer so that's a great feeling when you know you've helped make an impact on somebody to go into the career of law enforcement so then after that, I went into detectives, and I was a violent crimes detective. That was a really good position to go into because violent crimes, you know, we have child abuse, we have domestic violence, we have homicide, we have specialty detectives in Long Beach, and violent crimes was kind of the catch-all. So we handled everything from, like, a threatening phone call and a battery, like two people fighting, all the way to attempt homicide and mayhem. So we had a very wide gamut of crimes that we handled. So that gave me a lot of experience in filing cases, investigating cases. I really enjoyed that. And then from there, I promoted to sergeant and went back to patrol. Did patrol for a couple of years, did internal affairs for a couple of years, which I think internal affairs, you know, people like, whoa, whoa, whoa you're the rat squad, you know, because on TV it's that. And I don't really think it is. I think if you're doing it right, internal affairs is a way to constantly making sure your employees are doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's to always evaluate how we're training people and if that's the right way to train it. And it's the best way to get rid of employees that you don't want anyway. So I learned a lot in internal affairs 
one of the biggest things was learn how to handle police officers and handle employees. I found, even at Long Beach, I found that most of the cases were not valid. And I think, you know, when people talk about body-worn cameras and the community wants body-worn cameras, and as a police department, we're like, we want it too because it will show that our officers aren't doing the bad things that people think they were doing. And if they are, it'll help us catch them doing that so we can get rid of those employees or discipline those employees and try to, you know, the ones that we can save, save, and the ones that are bad, get rid of. So body-worn cameras here at UC Irvine. I literally, before you and I started talking, I was responding to an email where a professor was concerned about our officer stopping a Hispanic student who was walking at 1.30 in the morning back from working late in grad and engineering, and the officer stopped him and talked to him, and they said, yeah, he, you know, they sent me an email saying basically that the officer was disrespectful and only stopped him because he was Hispanic. But we have body-worn camera footage now. So the stuff that they said happened, and it was like third or fourth party by the time I got it. Mm. The stuff they said happened was not what happened. And I have here I have evidence to prove that this complaint is not a valid complaint. My mm. officer mm. treated him with respect, told him why he stopped him, offered to give him a ride home. I mean, it was just totally different from what yeah. the complaint was. Well, in the past... We didn't have that. Right. Now we have, look, here's the body-worn camera. What you said happened did not happen. Here's what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So body-worn cameras is definitely good for both the community and us so we can actually get that information out there that, no, that's not what happened. Here's what really happened. Try to build that trust again. And it's a, another way to be transparent with the community that this is how our officers are acting. And I encourage people to email me stuff if our officers are doing something wrong so that we can audit because we do random audits. But if a complaint comes or somebody says something happened, I can at least go back on the body-worn camera footage and see what actually happened. And if it's something that our officers need to be disciplined for, we can take care of it that way. And if it's not, then we can get back to the community and say, no, this is what really what really happened. Gotcha. Do all UCI police officers have cameras? Yes. all. But I'm not, obviously not wearing one because I don't really work patrol, but all the officers that go out to patrol gotcha. wear body-worn cameras. Do they automatically start filming right away or does it this criteria if they're responding to a call or making contact with somebody they have to turn it on gotcha where did you go after internal affairs i got promoted to lieutenant and then i went back to patrol and i did that probably i want to say four years is a lieutenant patrolling yeah in long beach a lieutenant does patrol they're the watch commanders okay Um, so basically they're the last line of uh, leadership in patrol, actually out in the field. At night, they're basically the chief of police because they're the ones that answer when everybody else is, uh, all the bosses are gone home. So I did that for four years and then I went to contract services and that's where I learned a lot about budgeting. That's where I was in, uh, responsible for the airport, transit, Long Beach City College. That's where I learned a lot about contracts and budgeting and things like that that have helped me promote later on and smaller teams like our mental evaluation team. I was responsible for that. I was responsible for the reserve program. So I got to learn a lot more about the department and the support services of the department. Is the City of Long Beach Police Department contracted to provide security for Cal State Long Beach? No, Cal State Long Beach has their own police department. Just like UC Irvine, the the Cal State systems have their own police department. So we just partnered with them. So when I promoted to commander, I ended up going to East Division, and that's where Cal State Long Beach is in the East Division of Long Beach. And uh, a lot of their uh, student housing, a lot of their fraternities, sororities are off campus. So they were in the area where I was responsible. So I had to work closely with the school to 
solve problems, right? Uh, it wasn't, you know, we get calls at somebody's house for loud music every night. You know, it's a, we can go and give tickets, but that doesn't solve the problem. So, you know, we worked closely with the schools to say, hey, how can we, uh, how can we fix this problem? We're not going about it the right way. So I worked closely with them on that. Uh, we had one house that was a lot of loud noise, and the community was complaining, and we're like, how do we solve this problem? Well, they found out it was like uh, kids from the baseball team. Um, and I said, oh, you know, because I come from a sports background. I'm like, hmm, see if you can find out who the coach is. <laughs> yeah. So I gave the coach a call. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the problem stopped, yeah. right? Yeah. So th- sometimes, and, and that's one of, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to come and work here. You know, law enforcement getting involved and, and writing tickets or taking people to jail is not always the answer. There's other ways to solve problems. You know, they're young kids and you don't want to destroy the rest of their life for something simple like, you know, they have loud music, you know, disturbance calls, and they have that, you know, on their record. So how do we help them uh, help themselves from, you know, getting into trouble? So I work closely with Cal State Long Beach with a lot of that stuff. I actually set up a meeting where they could go, that we could go and talk us with, along with the city attorney, a city prosecutor, and the council member to go and talk to them to say, this is what you should do in your communities. Your sorority fraternities, you have to do certain events for the school. Well, maybe you should be doing events in the community too so that you can reach out to your neighbors. So if they're having a party, they're not calling us, they're calling you and saying, hey, you guys are being too loud. So we kind of were teaching them how to be community stewards. I was very proud of that, how we work with that, because we know that it was successful and that communities were able to reach out to the, the presidents of the houses and solve problems without getting the police involved. Gotcha. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is UCI Conversations, and I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. My guest today is UCI Police Chief Liz Griffin. The interview now leads her into considering becoming a police chief. When did you start thinking about, well, maybe maybe I'll aspire to be a police chief? Um, you know, it's, it's, I think once, uh, once I became a commander, um, I thought, you know, because if you know the reputation of Long Beach, uh, Long Beach produces a lot of chiefs of police from, you know, from being a commander or deputy chief, they're going on to be police of chiefs other places. I think once I made a commander, I thought, hey, maybe that's something I could do, you know, at the end of my career, if it's something I like, right? Something I really wanted to do, something really community oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after being a commander for a couple of years, I thought, well, if something comes up that I'm interested in, I'll definitely go for it. And then I heard about this position, and uh, a friend of mine called and said, hey, I think UC Irvine's going to be opening up for a chief position, and I know that's something you you really like. And I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? And I was very excited and put in for the position right away. So very happy to be here. When did you come on board? Mm-hmm. May 22nd. Okay. Right at the end of the quarter and right in time for graduations. Is the honeymoon over? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, it's still a lot to learn. I'm still learning a lot. I'm, I'm still, uh, you know, trying to figure out the politics of the school. It's a little bit different from a municipality, so trying to figure out the politics. But yeah, it, I think the honeymoon's over. Uh, I think the expectations of me now are, hey, this is what we want you to do. Get it done. I think with the officers, I think they're already they're figuring out my style and my goals and, and my expectations and and now we're just we're kind of moving forward so I feel comfortable there's UCI has tend to have a lot of new people it seems like they have a lot of uh, people coming in and out moving to other UCs or moving up and 
um, I'm not the new guy anymore. You know, it's like there's a lot of more people out there that have less time than I do, and I only have, what, six months? Um, there's people out there that have less time, so I'm, I'm getting to be one of the old guys now. So, <laughs> uh, But, yeah, definitely over. Honeymoon's definitely over. Gotcha. What does leadership mean to you, and what do you consider your strong points of that? I think leadership is, you know, separate from management. I think leadership is taking care of your people and making sure your people have what they need. I take pride, and I've learned this from people uh, throughout my career, people that I supervised and people that have supervised me. But one in particular, a sergeant that was working for me, he talked about your people will do better for you when you show that you care about them. And I had done some stuff. I made breakfast for you know the whole uh, patrol shift, and and he came to me and said, "That's great. You know, it's you know they're going to want to do more for you because of the way you treat them." So, I think as a leadership, I think treating your people is the biggest priority for me. I'm also really big on um, just because that's the way it's always been done doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. I think I make that pretty clear to people that that's how I am. If you think that things should be done a certain way, then show me. Show me why you think that I'm willing to sit and talk and figure out together what the best way to do is. And I think I'm more of a collaborative person when it comes to leadership. And I think that's what's helped me be successful is that I don't try to do everything myself. I have a great team here. I was very fortunate to come here with a uh, assistant chief who could easily have been the chief here and uh, lieutenant to two that come from outside agencies who were commanders in their agencies and a lieutenant who's been here for over 15 years for the historical inside of the department. We make a really good team and I couldn't ask for more. I really enjoy working here. My wife even says, you look happy. You look happy from working. You enjoy, I can see you enjoy your job. Um, that says a lot. And I think having the opportunity to be a leader here is, has been very, very great for me. How about adversity? Do you recall an incident in your career? What was it and how did you respond? Um, wow. Throughout my career, a lot of adversity. Uh, I'd say the one that that affected me the most, how about that one, was a challenging employee where the employee had been in a position for many years and people had a lot of challenges with this person, with her, and they came to me with, you know, the challenges, the way she talks to people, the way she treats people. And so, you know, my goal was, okay, let's, let's see how we can fix this. Having conversations with her, and it's kind of hard when you have somebody that doesn't feel like they want to change or don't want to change or don't want to adjust to to the different people that and you know when you're older like me (laughs) when you're older like me and you're dealing with you know millennials and gen you know just different generations you have to be able to adjust to those generations and I don't think she was willing to do that and I think the thing that bothers me the most is that I wasn't able to help her succeed and she ended up getting in trouble she ended up putting herself in a position that she couldn't get out of um, mm-hmm. and then forced to retire early. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I failed mm-hmm. on that because I don't know I don't know what else I could have done. I still think about it, but it really bothers me that I feel like I failed her because I could not help her mm-hmm. uh, be better and do the things she needed to do to be successful. That was a, it was a tough time. Whenever you're dealing with personnel, and I think that's the, the hardest adversity at adversaries is your own people when you can't solve problems together when you can't work together you can't collaborate I think it doesn't just affect you and that employee it affects 
the whole division, the whole department. You know, how do you deal with that? And how do you uh, make people happy and make people want to come to work? Because if you have bad employees, people are miserable here at work and they don't want to come in. And I think you have to uh, figure out how to either help those employees be what's best for the department or help those employees find something else that that they can do that's no longer with the uh, department or division and um, they're, they're no longer a fit because you have to think about the whole. Um, and that was the, I think the, the toughest thing I ever had to do was to basically like, there's nothing else I can do to help you. And I feel like I failed on mm -hmm. that one. So that was a tough one for me. Yeah. Thank you. In general, how to handle adversity. I think for me, what's been successful for me is that I'm willing to sit down and listen to the opposing side because I, I don't feel, I don't have, I know I don't have all the answers. I'm not the smartest person in the room and I, I know I'm not. I want more information. So if I have a conflict with somebody or I don't agree with somebody, then I want to know the facts. I want to know, well, what do you think? Um, and it's interesting because people have told me this. Sometimes I will throw things out in a conversation um, that I don't necessarily agree with just to see the thoughts of the other person on that topic. And it's funny because I'll be like, oh, at the end I'll be like, oh yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I just wanted to see you know, how you felt about this aspect uh, because I want to hear all sides. If I'm not hearing all sides, I'm going to push to hear all sides before I make any decisions. So I think that's one thing that, that has benefited me is that I haven't, you know, when you, when you have conflict with somebody, uh, to not be stubborn, right? To, to listen to both sides, to listen to all the sides, to, to talk about different solutions. Um, and that's helped me um, get along better with some people who don't necessarily want to get along with you, right? Uh, especially people in the community who are, they just don't like the police. There's nothing I can say to make them happy. Um, so then I turn it on them and ask them, well, what, what do you want from me? What do you want from the police department? And then listen to what they have to say. And a lot of the times we want the same thing. It's just we're not listening to each other. Mm -hmm. So that's usually what I want to do. It's just let's talk it out. Let's find out what it is, why there's differences. In the course of our conversation, I've learned that you're gay. Yes. Has that affected you professionally? Um, you know, I think now it's not a big deal. Uh, when I first became a police officer, it was a big deal. Um, I think... Were you open about it? I was not. Not at the beginning. In fact, I wasn't even open about it with myself. I was I was still dating men when I was going through the academy. Um, but I think uh, now it's different. Back then it was I I just wasn't open. And, and, if, and when I finally did come out to my family and friends, it wasn't something that I overtly said or, you know, came out and said to people in the police department. Uh, people that I was close to knew... Um, but it wasn't something that I would actually, you know, hey, by the way, I'm gay. Um, it was years later that, that, that when, when it was a little more acceptable to do that. Um, I, I really feel on this topic, I really feel it's really tough on men who are gay in, in law enforcement to, I think it's still tough on them to come out. You know, as a young officer, female officer, we used to you know, make arrests and people would say stuff like, oh, you're a butch, you're a dyke, you're, you know, whatever. And, and I would laugh because I'm like, okay, I am, you know, but, but it didn't matter if you were or not. If you were a woman in law enforcement, people just assumed 
that you were gay. I mean, that's how it was uh, early on, and now it's it's not that way. You know, it's a there's straight and gay women in in law enforcement, uh, but some people tend to think that oh, if you're in law enforcement, you must be gay, kind of thing, which is kind of interesting. But no, I did not come out till later. Um, um, and then, uh, in fact, I, I wasn't really completely out until I decided I wanted to have children. And I think, you know, you try to keep your personal life separate from your professional lives at times. Um, and that's kind of what I did. Uh, but when I decided to have children, I didn't want to have to lie to people. I didn't want them to assume that I was married to a man and that's why I'm having kids. Um, so that's when I finally just it was easier for me to just come out and say, yeah, no, me and my wife are going to have kids. And, mm. and at that time it wasn't wife because we couldn't get married, but mm. I would say me and my domestic partner were mm-hmm. going to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, then it became comfortable. It was like, and by then I already had developed a reputation for myself that people knew me for me rather than for, it's not so easy when you come in as a gay person, mm. um, or at least back then. I think now it's a little more open. In this day and age of inclusion, diversity, mm-hmm. how do police officers handle the situation where, you know, they may be male, and but they identify as female? Old school was there was a box for female and there was a box for male. How is that handled? I, well, you know, we're, it's, it's ongoing. Uh, transgender uh, population is growing, and I think uh, they're the toughest ones for officers to deal with because they don't know. And when you have that you don't have that education you don't know how to treat people and when I was at Long Beach I was the uh, liaison between the gay community and the police department and I would work with the center on um, how do we train our police officers and they wanted me they wanted well we got to give them eight hours of training I'm like we can't do that you know we have over 800 employees we don't have time to give every one of them eight hour blocks training because we have other training that we have to do and we have to you know keep our officers out of patrol so we came up with different solutions. One was a YouTube video that we found that basically shows officers how to deal with transgender people and what to say, right? If you see somebody and you don't know how they identify, how do you ask them? You know, and cops are like, well, I don't want to offend them by asking them, right? So it's like a double-edged sword. You know, if I went up to somebody and said, how do you identify? They're like, what do you mean how do I identify? You know, how can you ask me that? What do you think? You know, and, and so it was to be able to get to the officers and say, don't worry about that. Somebody might get offended that you ask them what they're, you know, how they identify. But you really need to ask them how they identify, and then you need to address them on how they identify. And then there's the laws that come into effect, right? Because the laws on bathrooms, right? Male can't be in a female bathroom, and right. how do you deal with that? Right. But but if it's trans, if you have a transgender male, right? Can they go in a male bathroom or? And then it's biology, and when you know you're not pulling people's pants down to see where they go, right? So it's it's a it's a it's a confusing topic, and it's a lot. But I think officers are now getting training on that. Even me, as part of the gay community, my daughter who is also gay, she she teaches me stuff, all the new stuff, all you know. So what's mom? What's pansexual? You don't know what pansexual is? And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, you know. And she's like, oh, and so. So what we did was, for Long Beach, is we, uh, we sent all the officers a training bulletin that had all these different definitions of what they are. And then we worked on changing our booking procedures. Where do you book somebody who is transgender male, but on their driver's license it shows them as a female, right? So there's a lot of laws that have to change. But I think as far as how officers treat people, they're already moving in the right direction. 
um, you know, by asking people how they identify, by treating them by that identity, how you write your report. So how do you, with the, the courts only identify them as whatever their DMV license says, right, or what, whatever their birth certificate says. And when, if it's a, you know, somebody who's committed a crime, how do you identify them in, in that system? Well, one of the things at Long Beach that they started doing was at the beginning of your report, you, you state so-and-so is a transgender male whose birth name was blah, 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 and now I'll be referring to him as, you know, whatever pronoun they want as, you know, whatever name they now have. And then the rest of the report is refers to them how they want to be identified. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts uh, to... Uh, um, to identif- identity. And I know that UCI campus, one of the reasons why I wanted to come here is because of how fast, how fast they're growing and keeping up with, with that. Uh, you'll see more inclusive bathrooms around the campus. It's, I think it's just great. But, you know, they're hiring. And when they ask for surveys, they're saying not just he and she, but they're adding a prefer not to identify or buy, you know, just different different mm-hmm. options out there. Um, Irvine is definitely ahead of the game on that one and uh, one of the reasons why I did want to come here. Final on your your question there, um, I think off the training that we're giving our officers, they're uh, getting better. Um, and I, I know for a fact because I, I had somebody call me uh, when I was working East Division in Long Beach and say, I just wanted to say that your officers treated my son, transgender son, um, with dignity and respect and when my son has to be identified as male they did that and it was just it was a great encounter and I'm like oh great it's working so it's just a matter of training the officers they want to do the right thing police officers want to do the right thing we just got to give them the tools to do the right thing gotcha this is your host Kevin Bossenmeyer of UCI Conversations you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine my guest is first year UCI Police Chief Liz Griffin next Chief Griffin gives a response to the topic, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Tough topic, yes. Yeah. Does that have meaning for you? Uh, for me, personally, I think all lives matter. I think, you know, you have the Black Lives Matter versus the Blue Lives Matter. Right. And... White lives matter. I mean, every life matters. Um, I think uh, individual groups have their own struggles. Um, I I can't identify with that because I'm not them. I I can identify as a a gay Latina woman. That's what I can identify as. Um, And and do I think that, you know, growing up in a a gang-infested neighborhood, do I think that the police treated us differently um, than others, I you know I, I don't I don't really know I, I I dealt with the police a little bit when I was younger, but I can I can tell you that um, I didn't grow up with my parents saying, hey, if the police ever come to you, be you know extra careful because uh, you know you're black and police and black don't get along, you know, and, and that's kind of the history, right? Um, I, I my daughter did a report on. Um, and her, her and I had a really big conversation on Black Lives Matter. One of her friends that is black told her, yeah, my mom has said, you know, be careful when you come in contact with the police because they treat blacks differently than everybody else. And, and that's, to me, that's their reality. That's the world they live in. And 
who am I to say that that's wrong or right because I don't live in that world um, and I think it's I think it's very unfortunate what I can say to black lives matter is that one all lives matter and two I think it takes all of us to work together to make things work um, we all have to uh, respect each other and you know in, in some of these neighborhoods police and the community don't get along whether it's black hispanic asian it, it could be any person of color um, when they don't get along that that brings in a lot of conflict between the the group of people and the police department um, and i think we as police officers have to realize that um, and then we have to be compassionate and be able to um, address those issues so for me uh, when i pull over somebody who's black or deal with somebody who's black in my official capacity as a police officer, I'm sorry, black or person of color, I go in there with the mindset that this person probably doesn't trust me because I'm a police officer. It's not me personally, it's this uniform. It's then, you know, that's where the whole blue lives matter because people don't see us as people. They see us as a police officer in a uniform and they sometimes don't equate the two. Um, that I'm a mom and I'm, you know, married and I have my kids and, and I'm just like them, but because I wear a uniform, I'm different. And, and that's definitely my choice, right? I, I chose to, to wear the blue. But I have to be compassionate and understand that other people have probably had bad experiences. And if they didn't have bad experiences, uh, they've seen bad experiences in social media. And I can't say that all uh, police officers are, are great and that we, you know, we do everything right because we make mistakes and there's some bad cops out there, kind of like any other profession, there's bad out there. Um, unfortunately for us, the bad tend to outweigh the good. And even if you say, you know, 99.9% .9 of our contacts are all positive contacts, it's that 0.01% that the community really sees. Um, and that's, that's tough. It's tough on the community and it's tough on the police department. Here at UC Irvine, we have to deal with people looking at us like they look at every other police department, right? Like they get their ideas from social media, uh, they see things on the news, and they judge us on that. And we have to deal with that. And we, ha and we have to know and we have to realize that they are judging us for that. Chief, how about law enforcement heroes? When you were younger, now that you're more senior, do you have heroes or mentors that have really, that person walks in big shoes and is a hero? I think, you know, when I, when I look at law enforcement and think about a hero, I think about some leaders. And one that really comes to mind is Jim McDonald. He was the, he was, I think, assistant chief at LAPD. Then he became the chief of police of Long Beach and then became the sheriff, LA County Sheriff. Um, and he was, to me, like an epitome of law enforcement. He was, he cared about everybody. Um, he wanted policing, uh, he wanted the community to see policing for what it was. He, I don't know, he, to me he was just the top cop, right? He was the kind of cop I wanted to be like. Um, he knew his stuff. He knew he could go and work the streets and, and you know, today he probably still could go and work the streets uh, and be a good cop. He understood that times changed and he changed with them. He understood how important training was. He understood that the community and the police that serve them aren't always going to see eye to eye. 
um, and he wanted to make things better. Is he still an active? He uh, was the last sheriff for L.A. County Sheriff's. And as far as I know, I don't I don't know if he's gone on to do other leadership duties somewhere else. Gotcha. What advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> uh, don't promote. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think I would say that everything you say and do makes a difference in somebody's life. Don't realize, You don't realize in your career, you don't realize the impact you have on people. Um, you don't realize that the, the contact you make with them, usually your, con- your, your contact with somebody is usually in the worst time of their life. Um, if the police are involved, or maybe the only time in their life that they have contact with the police and how much that contact means, not just for that person, but for law enforcement in general, how you represent all law enforcement officers for in everything you say and everything you do. One more question, Chief. Balance and discipline. Is that a yin-yang for you? Is it easy? <laughs> I think my philosophy on discipline is that um, you want to catch things early, right? We, we invest a lot of money and time into our police officers to get them to be full police officers. And it, it really is in the sergeant's position where you've got to recognize bad trends or you've got to recognize where people are deficient because if you don't get it early on, um, then it's going to be something big later. I consider it a failure if I have to fire somebody later because that means I didn't catch things that they were doing before that got them to this point. So my thoughts on discipline is try to catch it early, try to fix it early, and try to make them successful in their career. But if you do something wrong, there's going to be consequences. I believe in progressive discipline, but I also believe that discipline should match the offense. If you've never been in trouble and all of a sudden you do something really, really bad, you could get fired. That's not progressive discipline, but it's the discipline should match the offense. Chief, thank you very much for the time. It's very Uh, nice talking to you, Kevin. Thank you very much. Thank you.